Hi, my name is Autumn Dixon, and this week's Come Follow Me is November 8th through the 14th, and it is Doctrine and Covenants 129 through 132. Now, if you want to receive your Come Follow Me lesson in a different medium, I post information about my blog and my podcast in the description below the video, so check those out if you rather read or just listen. Now, this week's sections, Joseph Smith talks a lot about principles from the other side of the veil, and facts almost about what heaven is going to be like and as I was reading these sections some of the things that I was pondering one of which was what is heaven really really like what does it feel like what does it look like what is heaven really like and is it really worth wanting to attain it right is heaven something a goal that we really want to work hard for is it worth going for now that may seem kind of like a silly question, but I think it's a very valid question to ask ourselves, right? If we are trying down here to learn who Heavenly Father is, to learn what heaven is like, one of the questions we can be asking is, is it worth attaining? Is it really as fantastic as we are often taught that it is? Now, another thing that I was thinking about as I was reading these sections. Now I've talked about these friends before, but I want to talk about them one more time. I have a couple of friends who are not members of the church. And we have had long, lengthy discussions about the gospel. And they are very, very devout Christians. And one of the evenings that we were talking, I asked them very bluntly, very straight up, if they believed that we were going to hell. And I've heard enough on my mission that it doesn't really jar me. <laughs> But I asked them if we were going, if they believed that we would go to hell. And they danced around for just a second, but ultimately they were like, yes, we believe that if you died right now, you would go to hell. And then they said something really interesting. <laughs> they said, we believe that you're really, really good people, but yes, if you died right now, you would go to hell. And this was fascinating to me, <laughs> absolutely fascinating, because... That doesn't sound like heaven to me, right? Let's say that this was the truth. That was exactly how heaven and hell worked. That's how judgment worked. And let's say I got on board with my friends and I got baptized into their church or whatever it is that I need to do. And I get to the other side and I did everything right. So Heavenly Father gives me a nice little robe and a nice singing voice and I get to go sing divine praises to him forever. It doesn't sound so bad, right? Like there are worse ways to spend an eternity. However, if I was really truly still myself, if I was the same person that I am right now, I feel like I would have an incredibly hard time swallowing that, right? I am worshiping and praising and singing to this being, to Heavenly Father, while simultaneously watching him throw good people into a fiery pit for eternity. It doesn't make sense, right? Heavenly Father is a perfect judge. It doesn't make sense for him to take good people and throw them into fire for eternity. That's not what a perfect judge, judge does. I'm not perfect in judgment, but even I know that that is a terrible decision judgment-wise. Now, I told this story again because it's a fantastic introduction of what I want to talk about today, and that is the idea that heaven is logical, right? It makes sense. The things that we learn about heaven there are reasons for it. And I wanna talk about a couple of those principles, just two, there are a million of them, <laughs> but I wanna talk about just two. Joseph Smith T 
teaches about heaven in these sections. And I feel like it's really important, especially for this video, that I reiterate the fact that I do not officially represent the church in any way. Like These videos are videos that I feel like I'm supposed to do for my Heavenly Father, but they do not officially represent the church. A lot of them, a lot of the things that I teach are influenced by my own experiences, my own views, my own opinions. And so just keep that in mind as I teach throughout this particular video. And also, if you're here for the Twilight Vampires, stay tuned because I will be talking about them somewhat extensively in the second section. So, first principle about heaven that I want to talk about that is logical to me. I want you to imagine your perfect friend group. What would it look like? How would it feel? What would you guys do together? What would it be like when you're hanging out on a regular night? Where would you go to spend time together? What would it be like when you're having a conversation with that person? What does your perfect friend group really feel like? Now, I am very fortunate to have a fantastic friend group, right? It's not perfect because none of us are perfect, but it's pretty great. I have a, I'm very, very blessed to have a fantastic friend group. There's a lot of humor. We laugh all the time. We all love going to dinner together and we watch movies at my house. They put all their kids down to bed at my house and, and we spend a lot of time together. We really enjoy being around each other. We love each other and we have a good time. We have created somewhat of a family together, right? And another important aspect that I believe is present is that we assume the best of each other. Now to give you that I an idea, an example of this. So one of my friends has a couple of tattoos and tab tattoos can be kind of a taboo in the church and they can just have sensitive feelings surrounding it, right? And so I had a, a question about her tattoos and it was a very sincere question. I wanted to ask her about them, but I was really worried that she was going to think I was judging her or I was just worried that it would create an awkward tension, right? So when I did ask her this question, I prefaced it with that. I was like, I, I want to ask you, but I don't want you to feel like I'm judging you. All that stuff, I prefaced it, right? And then I asked her the question. And after she answered me, she laughed and she was like, Autumn, I feel like we're at the point where <laughs> we have this friendship that even if you meant to offend me with a question, I would have completely missed it because I just assumed that you're asking sincerely because I know that you love me, Right. When I imagine heaven, I imagine it's a lot like this perfect friend group, right? We, when we're spending time together, because when we get to the other side, we're not perfect, right? There else, we are still working towards becoming like our heavenly father. We're not going to be perfect. But one of the key, one of the key ingredients is that we assume that the other person is a good person and that we're trying to be sincere and loving. Now, Let's add an element to the story. Let's say that I have this new couple move in right next to me. They're same age. They've got kids the same age. So obviously I'm going to start inviting them to hang out with us, right? But then things kind of start to change a little bit. The environment starts to change in our friend group. This new couple, and this is all imaginary. Let's say this new couple doesn't really like one of the other couples in our friend group. And sometimes there's some snide remarks 
And then when this new couple kind of plans a movie night, they try to leave this other couple out. And they just, they kind of put tension into our group, right? And it changes the feel of the group. And it doesn't feel as fun when we all get together because we're all walking on eggshells to an extent. Our old friends have a hard time because they don't really want to hang out with these new people who don't like them. We're trying to be balanced and and make room for this new couple, but also be loyal to our old friends who have always been good to us. It just makes things more difficult, right? I want to read a scripture. This is Doctrine and Covenants, and it is 132, and it is verse 21. And it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye abide my law, ye cannot attain to this glory. So what Heavenly Father is saying here, what Christ is saying here, is that if you can't live up to a celestial law, you can't live in the celestial kingdom. And I think a lot of people have a hard time with the fact that Heavenly Father has such high standards for the celestial kingdom. It can feel like people are getting left out, like we all make mistakes, right? But there has to be high standards because if anyone's allowed in, it no longer feels like heaven. Heaven is gone. It's not there anymore, right? This heaven that I've been feeling in my friend group, if we invite someone who's kind of mean in, right? And we all make mistakes. We've all been mean, right? But if we invite someone in who continues to be mean, it kills that feeling. Heaven is gone. And I can't imagine that it's easy for Heavenly Father, right? He loves all of us. He wants all of us to come home to Him. We all lived with Him before. We are family. He wants us all to come back and be this big happy family again. But at what price does He just let everybody in? Now, because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, our mistakes have been paid for. They don't count against us. And in my mind, the mistakes are all gone for all of us. All of the mistakes are gone. They were all paid for. They're gone. When it comes to judgment, it's not about these mistakes anymore. It's about who we are as people, whether we contribute to the feeling of heaven or we detract from it. Whether if we were put in the celestial kingdom, whether we would abide the celestial law and love our heavenly father and love the people around us and we would assume the best of other people around us and we would be forgiving and compassionate and we would always have other people's best intentions at heart right it's not about these past mistakes that we've made because those were paid for by the atonement it when it comes to judgment when it comes to this law that heavenly father has it's about who we are and whether we can live that kind of law now, second principle. We're about to talk about vampires, so stick with me. I'm going to start with a verse. So this is Doctrine and Covenants, and it is section 131, and it is verses 2 through 4. It says, And in order to obtain the highest, so the highest kingdom, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. An increase. So one of this, the elements of the celestial kingdom, of the highest glory, is the ability to have children, to have increase. Now, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> that may sound heavenly or not heavenly. <laughs> depending on the day you ask me, it may sound heavenly or not heavenly. However, that is a key element of what it means to be part of the celestial kingdom, is whether or not we can have an increase. Why? Why is that such an essential 
part of heaven? Why is this something the Heavenly Father taught us? Why is it important? So let's do an exercise. Let's pretend that we are in heaven right now, right? We're on the other side. What does your day look like? What does it consist of? I like to imagine in the beginning, <laughs> I spent a lot of time sleeping, <laughs> right? So we have unlimited time. We have everything we need. We have unlimited funds, right? Or funds are just not even necessary, right? And we have all the time in the world to do whatever we want. How do we spend our time? Like I said, I think the first part of eternity, I will spend sleeping for a while. I would, if it was 100% up to me, <laughs> I would probably spend a couple of weeks on the beach, maybe spend a couple of weeks in the cabin. I'd spend some time with the man that I love. And this is where I imagine it's a little bit like Twilight. <laughs> I have this perfect, indestructible, resurrected body, and I have a lot of money, though money is not really necessary. And heaven, in the books, they have a ton of money, and they can pretty much do whatever they want because they have so much money, right? Kind of similar to heaven, right? I can run really fast, potentially even fly. <laughs> I can play sports really well with my perfect, resurrected body. And I'll spend a lot of time with Connor because I love him. I feel like no matter how much you love the piano, how much you love sports, how much you love the beach or a cabin or whatever it is that you love in your life, no matter how much you love it, I imagine that after billions of years, it would get kind of old, <laughs> get a little boring, right? If that was all there was to it, it would get a little bit boring. Let's imagine once again that it, 85 billion years have now passed. So we started out in heaven. We had our first couple of weeks, it has now been 85 billion years. You have perfected both baseball and surfing. You have learned everything there is to know about chemistry, biology, physics, music theory, art, all of these things. You have a perfect knowledge. You've become like your heavenly father. You've learned everything there is to learn. You've learned everything. What do you do now? What does your day look like? Do you keep going to the beach forever? What do you have to look forward to? And this is another part where I think we can learn from these Twilight vampires, right? So if you've never read the books, I'm going to talk about three. First one is Rosalie, or Rosalie, depending on who you talk about. I say Rosalie. So Rosalie, she is the most beautiful of the vampires. She's pretty obsessed with her appearance. She is also really hung up on the past, which ironically, one of those things is the fact that she can't have children. That is a big deal, <laughs> which is funny because that's what we're talking about. And to me, she just doesn't seem that happy, right? She has moments of happiness because she has somebody that she loves, Emmett. But she just doesn't seem that happy. And she has an eternity to live the way that she's living. Second vampire, Carlisle. Carlisle is really wonderful and sweet. He is actually a doctor. He was the original vegetarian vampire and didn't kill humans. In fact, he serves humans. He works as hard as he can to save the lives of humans. And he's happy, right? He spends his life serving other people and he's happy. And he could spend eternity like that because there's always gonna be opposition, right? They may have perfect, almost indestructible bodies, but humans sure don't. And so he is spending his life taking care of people and he's happy. Third vampire, Edward. So. 
Edward had his family. Edward is a vegetarian vampire as well. And he talks about how his life was kind of colorless. He's really good at the piano. He's learned a lot. He's been to high school 18, 30 times, whatever, however many times. And his life is boring. And he specifically talks about when he meets this girl named Bella. Now, Bella is this incredibly fragile <laughs> and imperfect human being. But he falls in love with her. <laughs> and... He specifically talks about how it added color to his life, right? Even though she cause, causes a lot of problems for him, he, she added color to his life. Now let's imagine we live in heaven. And if we're going to continue on with this twilight vampire theme, everybody's vampires. Rosalie, she continues to live how she lives, which once again doesn't seem that happy to me. Carlisle has no one to serve because everybody's a vampire. We all have what we need. We have perfect bodies. We don't need to be saved. We can learn whatever we want, do whatever we want. There's no ailments. There's no opposition in essence, right? Carlisle has no one to serve. So that happiness kind of ends. Where, where does he turn to for purpose now? And now Edward has a perfect Bella. There's no opposition, right? The color is gone. I would imagine that there would be happy moments, happy moments that I spend with Connor, happy moments that I spend with my children who are now perfect adults as well. But I feel like as the days went by, it would just get a little bit more boring every single day because there's nothing really to live for, right? There's nothing to live for. What kind of eternity is that? But now we introduce this element of increase. Right? So now you can bring this tiny little spirit human into existence. And this tiny little human spirit has so much potential. They have new things to try and learn. They have hard lessons to learn. They have, there's going to be lots of frustration and tears, but there's going to be exhilarating moments where they're learning these incredible things that we had the opportunity to learn. And once again, we find life through them. We start to live our lives through them, right? Think about it in very simple terms, walking. I feel like many, for many of us, well, for most of us, we have perfected the art of walking and walking is no longer exciting. You don't even really think about walking. You don't get up and start walking and it's fun and you really like it, right? We've done it enough that it is no longer exhilarating or it's no longer something that we're proud of is just kind of a means to an end. However, <laughs> other than abusive or negligent parents, what parent do you know <laughs> that is not absolutely ecstatic when their kids take their first steps? What parent do you know is kind of just like, oh, good job, cool, whatever, been there, done that, Yay for you, right? No, <laughs> parents are so excited when their kids take their first steps. It's so fun. And they get to live their life through that, right? That opposition and that learning and that potential is so important. Otherwise, our lives become great. And it's the same for eternity. Even if you have a perfect body, even if you become perfect like your Heavenly Father, it's going to get really, really boring without that opposition and those that increase, without having something to live for. Heavenly Father loves us deeply, and it's interesting. It's He's done it all, right? He's been there. 
There's nothing left for him to do. And he lives and breathes for us. You could almost say that we're his work and his glory, his purpose, everything that he lives for, because he's done everything else that no longer holds anything for him. This idea of increase is so essential to our eternal happiness. Heaven to me is logical. These things that I've been learning about heaven in these sections, it makes sense. It makes sense in the context of eternity. Heavenly Father has a perfect judgment, right? Everybody has the opportunity to return to him. We all have the opportunity to grow and progress. It's about who we are and whether we contribute to heaven and not about mistakes. Heavenly Father has reasons for high standards, these really high standards. And he also has reasons that there are multiple kingdoms, right? Not just heaven and hell. There are reasons why we believe children are so important. And there are more principles in these sections that we can learn about that have this depth and reason for it, right? They're not arbitrary. Heavenly Father's not just making it up. He's not giving us rules for fun. He knows what happiness and eternity means. He knows what it looks like. And he's trying to teach us, right? Everything that he gives us, all of the laws that he gives us, the commandments, the rules, the standards, the principles, all of these things contribute towards us learning how to live a happy, eternal life. I am grateful for my Savior who paid for my mistakes. And so they're all gone, right? Even the ones I haven't committed yet, they're gone. He paid for them. It's going to be about who I become as a person whether or not I go to the celestial kingdom. It's going to be about whether I can contribute to the celestial kingdom or whether I detract from it. I am grateful that if I choose to become that kind of person, that he has a place prepared for me. And I'm grateful that he takes the time to teach us how to have a happy existence. He didn't have to. He doesn't have to take time to spend. He doesn't have to spend time on us. But he chooses to. He teaches us how to live like him, how to have these standards so that we can have a meaningful, happy existence for eternity. I also know that just because something makes sense doesn't necessarily mean that it's true, right? But I do believe that this is true. And there have been plenty of times that I have said, I know this is true. But what I really mean is I believe that these things are true. As I've learned more about the gospel, as I've learned more about the Doctrine and Covenants and things from the prophets, I feel like I've received these small assurances that I'm on the right path. I don't know. I can't say for sure that I know. I still question. But I believe that it's true. I believe that the path I'm on will lead to a happy eternity. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.